Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Well, I want to thank all those that were praying for mom. She may be listening live stream with my wife and at her house. Um, you may not know, on Thanksgiving afternoon, right after our meal, mom had a heart attack. We were in Burgaw at, at the farm, and uh, I thought we had lost her. It was really uh, quite a traumatic time. Um, we prayed, got her back, and the EMS folks came. They were really remarkable. Pender County EMS, they did an EKG right in the living room and said, well, we've got something going on here. I said, well, her cardiologist, I don't know if Tony's back from the mountains. I, there he is, Tony. What an amazing guy. And Mindy. It's, it's nice to have your cardiologist in your church. He took the phone call. Even he was, and uh, anyway, so uh, the, the, the bottom line is that um, while she was in the ambulance, she had another heart attack. And um, the hospital, I, when I, I was trying to follow the ambulance, whoo, that was wild. Um, they got there before I did. Anyway, so the, um, they took her right into the cath lab. They went in and they found that she had a 100% block and an 80% block. And Dr. Buchanan, who was on that night, um, they put a two stents in. She went into ICU. She was pretty out of it. Um, next morning, I called the, the I called the doctor in ICU. He says she's up, sitting in her chair, and she's witnessing. She's pretty remarkable. <laughs> I said, "You haven't you haven't heard anything yet, Doc." You know. <laughs> so, and uh, when I got there in ICU, that uh, you know, she was worried about her dogs. So I think. Where's Molly? Did, Mo- did Molly and Dan, where are they? Oh, thank you. What neighbors? You should have really, a, man, just incredible neighbors. The, my mom has a horse dog named Blue and who walks her, right? Anyway, so um, as we were figuring out what are we going to do with it, she's worried about her dog and her cat. So Molly had a sleepover with the dog and took care of the dog and cat. And Dan, thank you for... for Anyway, just great neighbors um, to have. God is something amazing. So, got her home yesterday, and she's home resting, and the echo says she's fine. So, another, she, Lord's not done with her yet, you know. She turned 95 two weeks ago, so, hallelujah. Pray for me, pray for me, praise the Lord. Okay, let me switch. Test, okay, praise God. God is so good. Well, I hope you have a copy of the outline. This morning, um, I want us to really look at what's, what is the encouragement that we have for the Lord. But let me ask this question of you first. This is a serious question that we should all ask ourselves. What are you looking for? What are you apprehending or what are you searching for? What is it that is on your screen? What's on your grid? What are you looking for? Because what you look for actually captures your thoughts and activities. It'll get your ha- it, you'll get your head into what you're looking for. So what are you in pursuit of? And if you get it, what's the value of it when you get it? Another question would be, what do you trust? Are you trusting the government? Are you trusting Social Security? You trust in your vaccine or your booster? What, what do you chuck? What do you trust? Because if you don't trust Jesus, at the end of this thing, you will end up bankrupt. Remember, he told the rich man, he "says You're going to build more barns for your stuff." Oh, you fool! Tonight, the Lord will require of you your life, and then where are you? So it's a serious, good question to ask because. Um, I have prayed with people on their deathbed, and they've said, I'm so disappointed of everything I searched and searched for and seeked for, and now I realize, what's the value? Lamenting of all the crazy pursuits. I want us to see what Jesus said we should look for. So let's, uh, let's turn, turn with me to Mark chapter 13 first. Let's go there. When Jesus, red letter, if you have a, a red letter Bible, 
When, when three of the Gospels speak of the same repetitive from Christ himself, we, we probably ought to take note of what he told us we should look for. So in Mark chapter 13, you know in, in Luke's Gospel 21, Mark 13, Matthew 24, Jesus talks about the end time. So I'm going to weave an end time message together with where should we be looking and what should we be doing as those days and times come close. So let's, let's look at Mark 13, and let's begin in verse 34. Jesus goes on, and if you're familiar with this uh, end time study of the, the signs that we should look for, he deals with plagues, he deals with all the, the trials and tribulations that are coming, wars, rumors of wars, things that will come, but he finishes all that he says in verse 33 of Mark 13, stay alert and be on guard. But then he says, I want to tell you a story of what it will be like and what you should do when I, the Son of Man, are coming. So he gives a parable. Look at verse 34. The coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by a story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves. Now, the New Living Translation says slaves. The King James says he gave authority to his servants. So if you don't like the word slave, but remember, Paul goes on, he says, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. You have no rights once you've given your life to Christ. You may think you still, but if you've really, the, 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 the fine print in that, when you surrender your life to Christ, you have no rights. Amen? Well, I got my rights. No. Um, no, he's the king. And so I like the language of slave, but if you like the word servant better, that's all right, because you still serve. You still are at the master's talk. But he, he also highlights another person in this story. In the King James, he talks of him as the gatekeeper or the porter. But in the New Living Translation, he says, he's going on a long trip, and he leaves with his slaves and servants instructions about the work that they're to do. Do you know that you have instructions? You got a work list. You got a, a to-do list, right? We all do. That's the reason you were purposed, Ephesians 2. We talk about from the foundation of the earth, you were created for good works. So that ties in. He says, I left you with your assignments. Then he told the gatekeeper, watch for his return. You too must keep watch, for you don't know when the master of the household will return in the evening, at midnight, before dawn, at daybreak, don't let him find you sleeping. Are you awake? Are you seriously awake? That's really the question. Are you spiritually awake right now for what's going on? That's a really good, don't let him find you sleeping. Now, wait a minute. When I used to stand watch on a submarine or on my merchant ship, it was like, well, I got a four-hour watch then I can go sleep. He's saying, I might come midday, dawn, daybreak. That's why there is a gatekeeper or a porter or a watcher who's also on duty that can turn and say, he's arriving. Get up, everybody. Everybody up. Get up. He's here. He's coming, right? So don't let him find you asleep. When he arrives without warning, I say to you what I say to everyone Watch for him. So what are you watching for? There is um, an interesting time. Let's turn, I want to turn to Luke 21, kind of follow up on that. So just go to the right. Let's look at what Jesus says about this same time in Dr. Luke's account. And let's, um, let's begin. Let's look at verse 21 for a minute. Well, actually, let me look at 34, and then we'll, we'll, we'll back up. So look at this, Luke 21, 34. Jesus says, quote, watch out. Don't let, I want you to see now there's a choice here. Do not let your hearts be dulled by carousing, drunkenness, and the worries of life. So you may not be a party animal doing drugs and alcohol, but if you're worried about the cares of life, you're in the same category. What are you all captured about? What are you worried about? What, what are you anxious about, right? It's those anxieties of all the stuff that, you know, is getting us all wound up about. He says, wait a minute. This is Jesus. 
You may not be drunk and you may not be doing drugs. You may not be carousing. But if the worries of life, don't let the day catch you unaware. Here's this choice. Like verse 35, like a trap, the day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep alert at all times. Keep alert at all times. What do you do? Pray that you might be strong enough to escape. Pray that you might be strong enough to escape all this coming horror and stand before the Son of Man. Let's look at the King James because it's even more interesting language. Verse 36, watch ye therefore, pray always, pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape. Now that is, are you counted worthy? What does that mean? In an accounting process, the bean counters, right? They'll give you the list. Have you been accounted worthy to escape the horror that's about to come? This is Jesus. This is this sounds like works here. Well, there is some work in it. All these things shall come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. So let's go up to verse uh, 21 for a minute, and we'll, we'll come down for a second. I want us, if you look at all this, first of all, if you go through Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, about all the stuff, nations going to wars, plagues, rumors of wars, Jerusalem surrounded by armies, seas roaring, Hatred abounding, all wickedness abounding. When we stop for a moment, now I'm not going to say thus saith the Lord on this, but there's just two interesting things that are going on right at the moment, which you all know about, at least the plague. This pandemic that's happening has motivated the world. It is now lockdowns going. You've got nations that are saying you can't. Look at Austria. Look at what's going on in Australia. There's some crazy, crazy stuff going on as far as the control. Now this new variant that just came out, they're locking down other nations again. And so what is this? If you were to set a strategy in place right now that you wanted to unite the world under one world government, what would you do? You might use a pandemic that takes away all privacy rights, that uh, invalidates boundaries of nations, sovereignty of nations. You might um, do away with borders and have everyone come on in. Let's, let's eliminate all the borders and sovereignty of nations that God developed. And, right? You might also want to have people united against a common enemy like climate change. I would encourage you to go look up two things. One is, why don't you look up COP26? Glasgow, a couple of weeks ago, 210 nations came together in the United Nations Conference on Climate Change. Now, who is opposed? It's COP20. Just go climate change Glasgow, and you'll see the list of 210-something nations that came together in agreements. And there's a whole lot of people that are really upset that it didn't go far enough. And so the COP26, well, it's just COP26, but just look, climate change, Glasgow, that's where they met in Scotland. Glasgow, two weeks ago, they met there, and our pet president, China, they came with a number of agreements, but they laid out the climate conference accords. And now you've got folks that are saying, well, they didn't go far enough. We need to shut down all the fossil fuel, eliminate coal. Uh, Mr. Kerry came out and said we're going to eliminate coal plants and fossil within seven years. And so um, when you start looking, now I'm not saying these are not bad. I was an environmental health and safety guy for General Electric for almost 18 years of my 26 years with GE. So I'm not, who would not be for clean water, clean air, please? But if you were to strategically want to unite to bring people, and we know what the Lord's doing. The Lord says these are going to be signs of the end. The seas roaring and the, 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 all the plagues coming. So when you start to look at what gives legitimacy for control and releasing of more power over your freedoms, you might look at this. Now, I'll also encourage you to look at Pope Francis' seven-year plan 
It's called Laudato Si, that's L-A-U-D-A-T-O-S-I. He launched this this year. It's the seven-year plan, which is an interesting number. Um, when you start looking at Revelation, maybe, um, again, I'm not, I'm not drawing any lines. You let the Lord lead you. But it's this, we need an echo, this is a quote from the Pope in the Vatican, we need a new ecological approach that can transform our way of dwelling in the world, our styles of life, our relationships, our resources on the earth, and in general, our way of looking at humanity and life-giving. Pope Francis said in his video message, his, he has launched his environmental initiative, Laudato Si, L-A-U-D-A-T-O-S-I, with the message of announcing this initiative. It's a seven-year plan known as his action platform. It is to affect all sectors of family, parishes, schools, hospitals, businesses, organizations, and religious orders. The Pope explained the action plan also has seven goals that responds to the cry of the earth in response to the cry of the poor, ecological economics, adoption of simple lifestyles, ecological education, ecological spirituality, and community involvement. We need to take care of Mother Earth. Let us overcome the temptation of selfishness that makes us predators of resources and let us cultivate the respect of the gifts of the earth and creation and let us inaugurate a lifestyle and a society that is finally eco-sustainable. We have been given a garden. We cannot leave a desert for our children. Now, who would argue that this shouldn't be? But this, I'm just saying if I were to strategically look at how do you want to get more and more controls, there's some things like plagues and climate change that would be a platform by which you could run on. So when Jesus tells us, watch out, get your eyes open, what is happening, let's not be brain dead on what could be going on here. Amen? And so, again, I'm not drawing too many dots. I'm just saying, isn't it interesting that these things are before us now. And he tells us to watch out that you be not caught unaware. So let's, if we look at Luke 21, there's some interesting, if you look back at verse 21, in Luke 21, 21, there's this transition that takes place where when we see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, we know that Jesus was describing, remember in the beginning of this um, discussion about telling his disciples the end times. They were enamored. They were sitting right by the temple. If you've ever been in Jerusalem and you look at the, the temple wall, it's like, wow, how did they get these stones in? They didn't have these cranes. And how did they get these mammoth stones in the... And they were all like, how many years it took to build it? And they were just like, wow, Jesus, look at this place. He goes, yeah. Not one stone will be left unturned. And so we know in 70 AD, he was warning them that in 70 AD was coming after his death that not one stone. So you know the story. 2,000 years passed. Jerusalem, the, the, the Roman armies come. The legions smash what's going on in Jerusalem. They are scattered for 2,000 years. We know in 1948, by promises of all the prophecies, look at the Old Testament, New Testament. Zechariah promised that there would be a day. Ezekiel prophesied it, Right? that there would be a day when there would be a time of restoration. Daniel, in his prophecies, also describe it. So we know that in 1948, Israel becomes a nation again, right after the Holocaust in World War II. Then in 1967, in the Six-Day War, the Jews capture Jerusalem. And there's an interesting statement. He says, once you've seen the armies surround him and the time of the Gentiles comes to a close, look at verse 24, Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the period of the Gentiles comes to an end. And I believe in 1967, when they took back Jerusalem, and you know when President Trump recognized them as the, having the legitimate capital there, we moved our embassy. And so all of that is prophetically in line with the end of the Gentile control of Jerusalem. Then what happens? Strange signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. Nations in turmoil, perplexed by roaring seas. When you see this all coming, 
the power of the heavens will be shaken and everyone will see the Son of Man coming. Another interesting, just a tidbit for thought. Again, I'm not trying to draw too many dots, but I'm looking. Why all of a sudden are all this understanding of aliens? And why are they now releasing all this information that we've had since the 40s? Of the, why is that now? What if there was a strategy about when the rapture of the church were to occur and there's a disappearance and they, the end time characters, the false prophet and the, the antichrist come and say, oh, well, we got to unite because aliens have come. <laughs> I, I'm just, just a strategic thought if you were trying to unify people that know nothing about the scriptures. So it's just interesting that now they're releasing all this new information it's just a tidbit, you know, when you look at how the Lord said there were things were going to start to align, all these things begin to happen. Look up, verse 28. He gave this illustration, notice the fig tree, that's in, in symbology, that is Israel. When the leaves come out and you know that summer is taking place, you can know that the kingdom of God is near. Verse 32, I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass from the scene until you see all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will not. Verse 34, watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by drunkenness and carousing and the worries of this life. Don't let the day catch you unaware. Sound familiar? Like a trap, the day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep alert at all times. Pray that you might be strong enough to escape or worthy enough, accounted worthy to escape. So I want to transition when we think about these thoughts. Again, don't let anxiety and fear capture you. Just realize if you're in the kingdom, you're in a, if you're in the ark of Jesus, you're in a really good place. You're going to be all right, right? Um, so the question is, what are you and I watching for and what are we praying about? Don't let your heart be dulled. Don't let the day catch you unaware. And you know what? It's really an interesting focus here. We need to be less focused on world affairs and more focused on self-affairs. Whereas... I like to see what's going on in the earth, but don't let your heart get all messed up. And so, if Paul tells us this, now this is going to sound a little bit like works righteousness, but just hold on, I'll get, I'll get there. Philippians 2.12, this is an interesting scripture, it's not on your handout, we're going to get there in a minute. F Paul tells this in the church at Philippi, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. New Living Translation says this, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obey God with deep reverence and fear. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. If you're saved, show me. <laughs> you got to be from Missouri. Show me, right? It's got to be a show me state. Don't just tell me what you got. Show me what you got, right? And so this is that place where we want to shift now because I've heard, I had a dream. I said, Lord, what did you want to share with your people? And he said, I'd like you to share. I had a dream about Titus, the book of Titus, which I don't remember preaching a whole lot out of the book of Titus. And, and Pat, where's Pat? She's, Pat, how, you also had a dream. When I gave her the sermon outline, she'd had a dream about Titus. That's wild. And then my wife sends me this uh, thing about the Pope's thing, and there's a pastor preaching about the same scripture title that I had already written. So when you look at your outline this morning, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you looking for the blessed hope? Are you like... I'm ready, God. I'm like, so, no, no, I got things to do. I got, no, no. Are you looking for the blessed hope? 
and the glorious appearing. Can't wait for his appearing. Whoa, what a, there are days when I say, could you just come today, God? I'm like, I'm like oh my Lord. All right? The glorious appearing. If you look at the top of your outline there, the next paragraph says, looking for implies that you're searching, expecting specific desires. So, I mean, are you motivated daily like, man, this could be the day. Wouldn't it be awesome if we woke up, this could be the day. I think it would do something to the way you live. If you wake up with an expectation, this could be the day. That's what Paul tells his spiritual son, Titus. It'll motivate your actions. It'll captivate your thoughts. Let me give a couple of parallels. We just came out of Thanksgiving there. I put this in the paragraph below. So if you were anticipating a Thanksgiving time with some family or friends, you'd make travel plans. How do we get there? Where are we going? Where are we meeting? What are we going to bring? Well, you bring the corn casserole. You bring the potatoes. I'll make the turkey, right? The details of the who, what, when, where. Where's everybody going to sit? Where, right? Come on. We were just at Pat's house last night looking at the Pat Bradford's house and Sarah and, and Lou were doing worship and we're out there on the, and, and the boats and the, what do they call that? The flotilla, yeah. Going on, and then the firework. It was like, Pat calls us, okay, we're going to be here at this time. We got to work out the parking. You got you to do this. You gotta, the, 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 they might even close the bridge. They better, it was details. But those preparations brought thought and activity and behaviors. How about this one? You guys live on the coast. When, praise God, we didn't have a hurricane this year. And we don't want any more. We're, we're a city of refuge. Can't come here. All right. So it says, Paul teaches this, this expectation. But suppose, remember when they say, well, we got hurricane so-and-so that's coming. And then they got all these tracks, right? And for about seven days, everybody's like, oh, my God. It's going this way, going that way. But then you realize, whoa, this is really coming. So what do you do? You decide, am I going to ride this storm out or am I going to leave? If I'm going to stay, do I put something over my windows? Do I have food? Do I have water? Do I have batteries? You make preparations, right? Why? Because you're a fool if you don't. You're going to ride a Category 5 out on the Outer Banks? Good luck with that. Um, scripture says it this way, and you might want to jot this down. I, I wrote it at the bottom there of that second paragraph. It says, Proverbs 22.3. King James says it this way, a prudent person foresees evil and hides himself. New Living says it this way, a prudent person sees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. If you are not waiting for the blessed hope, then what are you waiting for? What's motivating your life, truly? And so this expectation brings actual. So let's turn to Titus. It's really, um, the, Paul had two spiritual sons that he really calls out in Scripture. And he tells us in Titus, it's only three chapters, but the whole focus of this is sound doctrine and good works. You want to boil Titus down. Good teaching, sound doctrine, and good works. You want to balance those two. If you have solid truth, the truth sets you free. So if you don't know the truth, you're going to get deceived. But if you have the truth, you should behave to the truth because you have good truth, you have good behaviors. That should go hand in hand, at least the, the connection between right living and right believing. That's why we, we emphasize the biblical worldview. This is the truth that will set you free, right? So you can, you can focus on this because right truth produces right living if you choose to walk there. And then he gives a checklist. It's actually a checklist that he uses to tell his spiritual son, Titus, I want you to go select elders. They're, they're planting churches all over the place, right? And so he's in Crete. Titus is in Crete, and he says, I'm going to leave you here, but I want you to select the leaders that are going to plant the churches throughout this region. And he says, now this is how you look for the qualification or the character traits of the people that should be leading in Christ. And then he just makes a, a, a list, and he goes on and says, they should be faithful to the truth. So they ought to live the truth. 
They ought to be faithful to the truth. They should be faithful to their spouse and their children. Hello? What does that look like? They should be not given to alcohol, to drugs, to partying, carousing. They should be living a sober lifestyle. Not given to heavy drink or wine, right? They should not be rebellious or lawless. They should not be dishonest with money. Not a thief or a cheat. They're not inflating the hours on the time card or the work schedule, not stealing from their taxes, right? They're not a gossip. They're not running their mouth about somebody. Not someone who brings division or undermines the legitimate authority, not arrogant or prideful, not angry or a violent person, disciplined and faithful people. Those are the characteristics. And honestly, you know what happens in 1 Peter 2? Remember he says you're a royal priesthood? That really should be yours and my character trait. If people will say, what kind of a person was this man or woman? And these are the attributes that we can aspire to. Paul says, I want you to look for folks that can fulfill this character trait because if they have these traits, then they're probably reflecting the truth. So let's, let's look at Titus. Are you there? It's really, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna cherry pick out of the three chapters because I think it's just a really good. The truth and works go together. But I told you it's not about works righteousness. Remember in Ephesians, this is a theme that Paul has. In Ephesians 2, he says, verse 8 and 9, for by grace have you been saved, right? Through faith, not of your works, lest anybody would boast about that. So if, you, if you're saying, if you're kind of in the James camp, let, show me your works and I'll show you my faith, you know? Or you're over here, it's like, no, it's grace. It's both. If you're saved, there better be some evidence of what you're seeing, right? Or doing. It's not all talk. There is some action in it. Okay. So we start out, look at chapter one, Titus. Greetings from Paul, a slave of God and an apostle, verse one. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those who have been chosen and to teach them the truth that shows them how to live. So right off the bat, he starts out, I'm chosen to show the truth so that they know how to live. And this truth gives us confidence that we have eternal life. Well, you ought to underline that. The truth gives you confidence that you have eternal life because God can't lie. God does not lie. He promised this from the beginning of the world, and now at just the right time, he's revealed this message. Look at verse four. I'm writing to Titus, my true son in the faith. It's only him and and Timothy that were given that privilege. Verse five, he says, I'm leaving you on the island of Crete so you can complete the work to appoint the elders in each town as I have instructed you. So he's a church planter. He's going from town to town, and he's looking for those who have these attributes. And then he goes on and says, he lists all those things. The elder is, he manages his household well. He's blameless. I think about three or four times he says, lives a blameless life. What does a blameless life look like? An elder who manages his household, he lives a blameless night. He's not arrogant, quick-tempered, not a heavy drinker, not violent or dishonest with money, enjoys hospitality, lives wisely and just, devout and disciplined, has a strong belief and trustworthy in the message that was taught, able to encourage others with wholesome teaching, show those who oppose that they're wrong. There are many rebellious people who engage in useless talk. They must be silenced because they're turning whole families away, teaching falseness. Look over at verse 15. Everything that is pure to those whose hearts are pure, nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving. That's an interesting statement. Unbelievers, we wonder why there's such corruptness. And it's almost like, how are they making these decisions? Right? It's like, you, you got to be really out of your mind to make some of the decisions that are being made. Right? Well, it shouldn't surprise us that unbelievers make bad decisions. They don't know the truth, and they don't know the one who is the truth. 
who we can get Philippians 1.5, James 1.5, if I lack wisdom, ask the Lord who will give to you. Just don't be double-minded. So this is like, it shouldn't surprise us that, wow, we need some believers here. Verse 16, such people, they claim to know God, but they deny him by the way they live. You starting to get this theme? Blameless living, blameless living, living properly, good choices. So he goes on and look at chapter two. I want you to promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Boy, this is like a broken record. Teach them to exercise self-control. They must have a sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Then he goes on, he tells the older men how they ought to behave, the older women how they should lead others. The young men should be led by them. The old women should lead the young, younger women. It says, don't be heavy drinkers. Don't be slanderers. Verse 7, it says, you yourself must be an example of good works. Here we go again. Of every kind. Let everything you do reflect integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth. Verse 12. Instruct those to turn from godless living. Here we go again. And, sinless ple- and sinful pleasures. Verse 13. While we look forward with hope to the wonderful day when the glory of our God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. Teach truth, live godly lives, and look for the appearing. King James says that, verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope. And the glorious appearing. What's it going to be like for you if tomorrow it happened? You got stuff in your closet? Get rid of it. You got stuff that you're walking in that you should not be walking in? Get rid of it. He's coming. I mean, He's coming. And so be prepared. What have you got in the closet that if he were to show up and go to your closet and say, what is that? Get rid of it. What's in your, what's in your thought processes that are wicked and unclean? What are you touching? What are you dabbling in that is not going to be to your advantage when he shows up? Come on, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being real serious right now. There are some of you that got some secret stuff that needs cleanup. The Lord revealed some things to me that I've been getting, and you know, I do a lot of prayer ministry, so I hear a lot of stuff. I'm asking you to get yourself in position. He's not angry at you, and I'm not angry at you, but there's a choice that you can make. And the amazing thing about 1 John 1, 9, if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I'm saved, Romans 10, 9 and 10. But then 1 John, he says, confess your sins to him. He's faithful to forgive you from all unrighteousness. So the slate gets washed in the blood. That's where the renewing, and we got, there's a Greek word, a nice fancy word that you can talk over lunch about that's on this list here in your handout. It's the renewing, it's the washing of the word. And so, as we go down this list in chapter two, I want you to see what he's saying is, verse 15, you must teach these things and encourage believers to do them. You have authority to correct others. Correct them if they're wrong. So as believers, now you do it with love because some people love to tell the truth, others like to tell the truth in love. There's a difference, right? So we want to we wanna tell the truth in love, not just I'm going to love to tell you the truth. That, that's not going to win anybody, right? And so love to tell the truth in love, and, but if you've got loved ones that are in your family or those that are your acquaintance, tell them the truth in love. He said, well, you seem really rigid. You're, you're kind of like, you got a fixed mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. We can't compromise this thing, right? I'm closed-minded about certain things. You can't convince me that homosexuality and men marrying men and women, that's not in the book. So you want to be, the Bible says that's not it. So you want me to change my opinion on that? My opinion doesn't matter. This is the word. This is the truth. So I want to tell you that in love. 
And I'm not angry because the same people that are living in adultery or hitting porn sites every day or getting drunk on Friday night, they're in just as much jeopardy as any one of them. Hello? Or those who slander, the gossipers will not inherit the kingdom of God. We would do well to be careful about talking about presidents and and, uh, those in Congress. Pray for them, right? And I've had to repent on that because it's real easy to get wound up in like, Okay, chapter 3, verse 1. Remind the believers to submit to governments and their officers. They should be obedient, but always ready to do what is good. Now, you know, we've talked about this. When the government lines up with Scripture, we say amen. amen. When the government sets policies that do not line up with Scripture, we say, oh, no. Right? So pray for the Supreme Court, because they're going to make some decisions very soon about Roe v. Wade, and which will cause this nation to come under judgment again from all the children that will die if we don't have them reverse some of this craziness. And so pray. But when the government says things like they did during the pandemic in California, that now churches can't worship God, you're not allowed to sing. I mean, you almost got to be, when that came out, I said, that's got to be a misprint. (laughs) Praise the Lord at all times. Sing in glory. How many hundreds of times? Praise the Lord. We came in here. I remember that Sunday. I said, let me make you a note. We're going to (laughs) sing. Praise God. They didn't bring that here. So you submit to government officials when it's righteous to do so. They are put there by God, even though some of this stuff, like, God, I don't know how this got put here. It says, you don't know that my ways are higher than your ways. And if I'm expediting things, you just need to trust me in this. Yes, sir. You put people in place that you want because you're expediting whatever you want to do, Lord. You got a plan. My plan is to love you with all my heart and all my soul. All right, chapter three. They must not slander anyone, verse two. Do you see this theme over and over again? They must not slander anyone, must avoid quarreling with each other. They should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Verse 3. And Paul admits here, you know, once I was foolish, disobedient, misled. We became slaves to lust and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and hatred for each other. You know, you can't kill Christians without a hatred for them. So Paul knew about this ungodliness that he was wrapped up in. He was a zealot, a religious spirit. He was the Al-Qaeda. He was the ISIS of his day in the religious guard, arresting people. He says, man, man, I know about all this. But when God the Savior, verse 4, revealed this kindness and love to me, he saved us. Not because of the... Now, here's where he gets into, it's not by works, It's by faith. Not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. Now here's this fancy word, right? He washed away our sins, giving us new birth, new life in the Holy Spirit. King James says it this way. Verse 5, chapter 3. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to the mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Now, I listed on number five in your handout that scripture in Titus 3, verse 1 through 6, not by works, but by righteousness and faith. That word there, anachokinosis, means to renew or restore and the washing of regeneration. What Paul was saying, remember, when Paul is blinded for three days, doesn't eat, And he realizes he met Jesus on the road, and now he realizes, "Uh uh-oh, I'm on the wrong side of this thing, right? So he's sitting there blind, and and for three days, no food, no water. And it says he's praying now, and the, the Lord appears to Ananias and says, go to this location. You'll find a man named Saul of Tarsus. He's praying to me right now. I wonder what Paul was praying. Like... 
man, I'm like, I blew it. I'm so sorry. I didn't know. You, know, you can imagine what he's going through, right? If you don't eat and drink, you, you ever gone without liquids for three days? There are those that have. It's like, whew, man, you are in a bad place. And so he's there at that place where he's like, he's fasting and he's praying and he's recognizing I am totally lost and I am on the wrong side of this thing. And at that point, the Lord says, good, I got this. He loves humility, right? Now go and tell him the job I have for him, he must suffer much for me. Woo and we know what he went through, right? He says, I won't brag, but let me brag. Shipwrecked three times, snake bit, stoned to death, beaten five times within one thing of it, killing me. And so he, he carried the scars of that walk. His life could be a testimony to what he then believed, right? Let's look on. Verse 7. Because of his grace, he declared us righteous, and he gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. You know, when I was looking at my mom, I thought we had lost her. I came in. She was unconscious. It was an ugly picture. I won't elaborate on it. But I thought at this moment, there was this sadness and joy at the same moment. If anybody knows my mom, if anybody's ready to go, that lady is ready to go, right? So there was this like, I don't want her to go, but so we, I just started praying. And then she came back. And it was like she was in AFib and, and um, the doctors were checking. He says, in, in ICU, they come in, they, they keep asking me, what month is it? What day am I? Where? What's with that? I said, mom, they want to make sure your brain's okay. <laughs> you <know>? My brain's fine. <laughs> They asked me another time about how old I am. <laughs> Mom, keep your, keep your love on. <laughs> I want to get out of here. I got to get home. I got things to do. I got a dog and a cat I got to take care of. But there was this place of the blessed appearing and the hope that we carry. I would like you really to ask yourself, if he were to come back tomorrow, would I be filled with joy with anticipation of his appearing? That's a really important question for all of us to ask. And then do business if you need to, right? That's, he's just sitting there saying, come on. Let's, let's finish this. In verse 10, if there's people that are causing division among you, give them one warning, give them a second warning, and then have nothing to do with them. Well, that sounds pretty harsh. We know what happens, right? Jesus said a house divided can't stand. So if you've got people that are causing division in the church, now that's not, there are ways to raise concerns. You talk to your leaders and elders, right? But if you're, if you're causing division, um, it's legitimate for leadership to come to you and say, I want you to stop running your mouth and judging others. I'm going to tell you one more time. If not, I'll show you the door. Hello? It's the same thing with someone who's sleeping around. I've invited people not to come back when I find out they're hooking up and sleeping around. Because why? You cannot allow that to be within. Either we're going to be a righteous people. Now, none of us are self-righteous. and There's none of us perfect, right? So the, the, when people come and say, I'm broken, I need help. We, we want the broken to come. We do prayer ministry every week asking people, come, come, come. We want you. But we will not wink at sin. We can't. I'm held to an account. We all have to be held to an account, right? Now, we do it in love. We point that out and say, look, we understand you're trapped in some kind of drugs or addiction or a lifestyle that is not godly. But we'll tell you the truth and we'll help you run with somebody who can. But you got to make a choice. And if you choose not to change the lifestyle, then I'm sorry, you cannot function here because righteousness is a powerful weapon and we have people that need to be healed, saved, and delivered and we cannot allow that leaven to come in this house. I'm trying to say this lovingly. It's, it sounds harsh, but it's truth. It's kind of like if someone comes into your house and wants to tell you how to run your house and it's not the way you want it to be run, you have every right to say no. Right? Are we okay with that? You guys tracking? All right. I'm not trying to be mean, but I, I'm just, 
It has to protect, we have to protect the flock and, and ask the, there's a, there's, a, there's a code of righteousness. So he says, listen, when you see people that are not behaving this way, you have the right to correct them. Do it in love. Number 14, verse 14, our people must learn to do good by meeting urgent needs of others. Then they will, then they will not be unproductive. So I just want us to see, um, I want to finish, I want to land this thing. There's several, on uh, number six there, there's a lot of scripture about eagerly waiting. But I want us to look at some, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You'll start to see a theme. I didn't recognize this until I started looking at this one. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 you'll start to see a theme that Paul writes from. And let's begin in verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. Now, you have every spiritual gift that you need as you eagerly wait for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end so that you'll be free from all blame on the day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this for he's faithful to do what he says and he has invited you into partnership with his son Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me read the King James. So that ye come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ who shall also confirm you unto the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So you got all the gifts you need so you can remain faithful and blameless on the day that you wait for him to come. Look at that theme. Now let's turn to Thessalonians. Turn to 1 Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter one, watch again thematically what Paul is telling him, there's this waiting in anticipation for. First Thessalonians one, verse 10. And they speak of how you are looking. They're, in other words, their reputation, the Thessalonian reputation that was out there, Paul is commenting on it. He says, they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's son from heaven, Jesus whom God raised from the dead, he is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. King James says, for they themselves show of us a manner of entering if we had unto you and how you had turned from God and from idols to serve the living true God and you wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. That's a good rapture one right there. Rescued from the terrors of the coming judgment, kept us from the horrors that are coming. So I listed a number. There's, there's the Philippians one. It says in Philippians 3.20 there, number six, it says, we are citizens of heaven eagerly waiting for his return. This is this desire. Jude goes on and describes this as well. Peter describes it. Paul in Romans describes it. Galatians describes it. It's like, okay, I get it. Wow. How eager are we waiting? I want to just finish with this bottom of the page there. It says, the truth gives us confidence that we have eternal life, which God who cannot lie has promised. One of the things that... Uh, I don't know how many had opportunity to, to come and listen to Imagine Heaven, Pastor Terry and Jan did, but it was so encouraging to listen to the testimonies of those who had the NDEs, the near-death experiences, and there's several here that have had NDEs <laughs> that have confirmed some of this. It was like, wow, there's a pattern, whether it's a believer, an atheist, <laughs> a Muslim, there's this agreement of over a thousand testimonies of people who have had near-death experiences of either the light or the darkness, the tunnel, and the reflection of those who come. And so 
I think, I think it was Terry said, man, we have a lot more encouragement about not fearing death, right? It's like some of the amazing testimonies, there was one that he shared, I think Terry shared, is like the doctor who was real skeptical said, uh, yeah, right, um, I don't believe in all this. He goes, oh, really? Well, I was, while you were working on me doing CPR and all that, I was watching from above. He goes, doc, if you don't believe me, go up into the overhead. You'll see a box of nails sitting on the I-beam. He said, really? And they did. And they were there. How about the other one? The guy, remember, he's on the, they're doing CPR. The nurse are working on the guy. And uh, they take out his false teeth. And they, the, the nurse puts it in the crash cart on the bottom drawer. Now, he can't see that. <laughs> but he's above watching the whole thing while they're re, you know, getting his heart restarted and all that stuff. And uh, he says, where's my false teeth? He goes, well, we don't know. We can't find him. He goes, well, bring the nurse. That's the nurse who took my false teeth, tell her to go look in the bottom drawer of her crash cart and get my teeth. And they did. So let everything be established by two or three witnesses. you got a thousand that are sitting here saying, this is looking like a pattern. Now, why is God showing us that now? Because he wants us to have an assurance of eternal life. Where will you spend it? What you believe about Jesus and what you do with what you believe will matter. That's the whole message of Titus. And so let's stand and we'll be dismissed. I'll invite the worship team if Ashley could come and, or we'll put some back. Oh, here they are. They're here. Praise God. That was such good worship. Hallelujah. So I want to invite the ministry team, if you'll come. If you're here this morning, and um, one, or you're listening by live stream, and you've never surrendered to this great, awesome Savior, I just want to encourage you to come and be part of that. Don't. Don't leave here until we pray with someone. You just don't know when it could be over. And if you need to redevote some time and energy to walking in a new lifestyle that is honoring to the Lord, I would encourage you to get prayer for that as well. These ministers can be trusted with privacy. They will not go and share your stuff. So Lord, I just pray right now, Father, those listening either by live stream Lord, those that might listen at another time, God, we want this message to be fruited and true in their hearts, that the fruit of this message, the good news of the gospel, that manifests itself in such a way, Lord, I just thank you. I, I just thank you, Lord. God, we just come and we thank you that you have promised us salvation, eternal blessing. So we want to be a people that are watching. Lord, we're, we're on guard. We're staying alert. We're not being overcome by all the stuff that's on media that tries to promote fear and worries and anxiety because Paul told us in Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing, but pray about everything. Fix your thoughts on what is true and right and holy and just. Contemplate on these things. And if you do that, there'll be a guard over your heart and your life. So, Lord, you've given us clear instructions about how to proceed in this last days. It's not a mistake that we're born in this season now. It's not circumstance. It's a reason that each of you are here at this time in this season for the work that he has planned for you. So, Lord, I ask that you'd show us how to align ourselves and make choices that are right choices. That we would choose to honor you with reverence and fear as citizens of heaven looking for the blessed hope. So, Lord, we thank you for Thanksgiving, all the amazing blessings that you've released to us already. God, as we look forward to the birth of your son, the remembrance of what you're doing in this season. God, I pray that we would keep Jesus the main thing. And Lord, I thank you now for the gospel that renews us and re washes us, regenerates us, 
with truth. God bless you. Don't forget Kingdom Men tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. Kingdom Women, 7 o'clock. Wednesday night, we'll be showing Sammy Rodriguez from Voice of the Apostles. You will love it. 6.30 Wednesday night. Don't miss it. The next three Wednesday nights, you're going to get really encouraged with some of the amazing speakers that were at the Voice of the Apostles. God bless you all. Thank you. Have a great day.